Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. Our purpose is to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're working our way through 1 Timothy in our current series, Behave Yourself. Now let's jump in and hear what Kurt has to say. And welcome back, friends, especially you ladies today, because this passage was written especially for you. Love the fact that uh, the Lord has included age-specific and gender-specific information in the Word of God. I think about passages like this. 1 Peter chapter 3 would be another classic passage. Titus chapter 2, I think, is the classic passage. But throughout the Bible, you know, God has made men and women different. Uh, That's not to say that they're not equal. They are. Uh, they're of equal value, but they have different roles. And God wants us to understand who we are. That's identity. And then in understanding identity, what is my role within that identity? Uh, for years, John, I led a school play every year. And I wrote it, and I directed it, and I chose the people that played in it. And there's a lot that goes into casting somebody in a particular role. It doesn't have to always to do with who has the best ability. Sometimes it's just a matter of who fits that role, who's believable in that role, who I want to develop in that role. So the, the point is the director knows what he's doing. And if a flawed human being can understand that, how much better can our great God, who orchestrates the universe, know exactly who should play what instrument? That's a great point that the the director is the one who gives the roles. And clearly, you know, God in, in human life, God has given roles for men and for women. And so we find that throughout the Word of God, as you mentioned already, uh, how that we find God addressing men and women and telling them how they ought how they ought to live their lives in life in general and how they ought to live their lives in the church of God. And so God is the one who created life. God is the one who made men and women distinct. And God is the one who shows them and tells them how they can best function in what God has called them to do. And God has not only given roles within the context of family or, or gender, marriage, you know, in marriage, he's given roles, husband, wife. In family, he's given roles, mom, dad, child. In government, he's given roles. And some have authority, some do not. In the church, he's given roles. But in every one of God's ordained institutions, there it's not a matter of equality or importance. It's a matter of function. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we've talked about the men and their responsibility to lead in prayer and be men of God who lift up holy hands. But then the Bible says, in like manner also. So just as men have a specific role that they are to embrace, the Bible says that women, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So in what sense, John, does the Apostle Paul equate holiness on the part of men and humility and submission 
with women specifically in the way that they present themselves. You know, I think about what Paul said about how men ought to pray and how they are to pray, you know, without wrath and doubting, lifting up their hands, their holy hands to God, having a clean heart, indicating that by this outward, you know, gesture that they're doing. Uh, but the outward gesture was not what was the key, all that was important, that was to reflect an inner part that was right with God. And so here with women, Paul is now going to tell them something about the outside and the inside and how that what is extremely important in a person's life is how they are in the inside and what that results in how they live their life. And we don't want to draw attention just to the external and make it the focus of what we're all about. I think sometimes because this is such a hot button issue and everyone's talking about, well, this is talking about the, the dress of women, that we miss the big point. The big point here is not what women are, are or are not allowed to wear. Matter of fact, the Bible says very little about that. The big point here is what should a woman be known for? And the Bible says she shouldn't be known for the adorning, her outward adorning, but, and there's the contrast, Verse number 10, with good works. If you truly are a woman that professes to know God, that professes to walk with Christ, that professes godliness, then your life ought to be an ample manifestation of that, the reality of your inner character. I think there's a couple mis misnomers when it comes to uh, these verses and specifically women's dress. One is the use of the word modest. So when the Bible says that women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel, the word modest here doesn't mean what you and I would view as modest. In other words, you know, loose and, and not form-fitting and, and, and covering uh, the, the flesh. I, I think that's good, and I certainly think that that's appropriate. But the word modest here simply means the right arrangement of things. And the definition of verse 9 is that women shouldn't be known for gaudiness. Don't dress in an ostentatious way that draws attention to oneself. You know, there are women that could meet the, the fundamental, um, if I could use that word, the fundamental definition of modesty, but, but they're really known for their beautiful hair or their fancy clothes or their, the way they Put, put them down there. She always so put together where you're known for that, then, then you're violating this verse. It sure is, Pastor. It's making the outward uh, what really draws attention. You know, whether you're wearing, you know, a bunch of gold jewelry or wearing a bunch of cheap jewelry, that's not the point. The point is don't dress in a way that just, you know, calls attention to yourself and all the outward because the outward is not... That's not how you really judge a person. It's by how they live their life, their good works that flow out of a heart that is submissive toward God and right toward God and wants to live you know, life for God rather than focus upon self. There's no beauty like godliness and there's no beauty like the purity of character. I think about Esther who was given opportunity by uh, her the 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 man that that was what's it what was his name Mamukan or whoever it was in the book of Esther that was preparing him for preparing her rather for her appearance before the king and he, he she could have any clothes she wanted or she could have any jewelry she wanted any kind of fancy hairdo and she said no no I'm just gonna go in 
I'm going to go in as myself. Now, that doesn't mean that there's value in dressing dowdy or dressing frumpy. No, that that is calling attention to oneself as well. The point is not on either extreme. What am I known for? What am I known for? And the Bible says, as a lady, you ought to you ought to want to be known for not the externals, but you ought to want to be known for your genuine love for God as manifest by your works. And that really gets to the heart of the issue and that what a person is like inside toward God, that will affect how the outward part is. You know, mine often, as I've talked to my wife over the years about the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, uh, I always like to go to the end of that whole section where it says, you know, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman does a lot of things. But it's not all the things she does that make her the virtuous woman. It's who she is inside fearing God that flows out in good works that make her the virtuous woman. And just as a man can pray a really flowery prayer in public and act all godly, and then his kids are just rolling their eyes because they know what a a hellion he is at home, so it is with a woman who can dress fancy and look so good and look so pretty and all that. And yet if, she, if her heart is duplicitous, if her character is suspect, then really what does it mean? Nothing. Look at what the Bible goes on to say in verse number 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about the last two verses in a moment. So these obviously are controversial verses. Uh, Jimmy Carter famously said back when he was running from president, running for president that um, Paul just had a bad day when he wrote this. So John, did Paul have a bad day when he wrote this? Oh, not at all. He is laying the groundwork for, it goes back to roles, what we're talking about. And I, I think universe 11, you know, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I've heard some people say that means a woman can't speak up in a church service. That That is not the point Paul is driving at here whatsoever. People love to have their mindset about culture and what culture should be like and what should be stereotypical type of roles and then force the Bible to mean that. Paul is not saying that a woman cannot say anything in the church service. No, not at all. Just that a a woman is not to unbiblically assume the role that God has given to the man. And we're going to see those two roles uh, specifically outlined for us in the next chapter. The, The role of the bishop, or we would say today the pastor or elder, the bishop, or the role of the deacon. Those are roles that are reserved for men. doesn't make the man better. It just means those roles are reserved for him, and a woman should not usurp the authority of that man, but she should uh, understand her role and play it the way God has designed for her to play it. You know, because of our culture today and often the, the muddying of roles, so to speak, in family and in churches— people often try to come to scripture and change it to mean something that agrees with culture. 
But I am reminded that it never is culture that is to change the Bible, but it's always the Bible that is to show where culture is wrong. The Bible shows where the church is wrong. The Bible speaks to the church and says, okay, church, here's where you're wrong at. Here's what you need to be doing. And so I love how the Bible is just clear on this issue about authority, authoritative roles in the church. And what Paul will go on to say in chapter three, as you mentioned, but Paul gives us here a passage that in no way demeans women doesn't say they're inferior to men. It just talks about the God-given roles that has been established by our Lord. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. The idea there is that Paul is forbidding Timothy from countenancing a woman leading the church, a woman pastor, would be the way that we would say that today. Verse number 13, for Adam was first formed... Then Eve, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Interestingly, uh, Adam and Eve are both mentioned. Sometimes people think, oh, okay, well, so Adam is superior than Eve in this passage because the Bible says Eve is the one that got tricked and Adam was not deceived. No, actually, the opposite is true. If anybody is to be demeaned in that verse, it's Adam. Because the fact is, Adam was not deceived. He chose to violate the commandment of God. That's a much more weighty decision. The, the woman was, was honestly deceived. It doesn't make it right, but she was bamboozled by it. And all Paul is doing is making and giving an illustration of the difference between men and women in that respect. And I love how that Paul just goes back to creation. You know, what God in creation, what God did, I think at 1 Corinthians 11 in this context, but how that God had a role for man and woman in the family, a role for men and women in the church, clearly as Paul is dealing with right here. And, and again, what happens with the fall is, is you're right, Adam was the one that was the individual responsible for plunging humanity into sin. I think in Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man's sin entered into the world. You know, it was by one man. And God does say that Adam was responsible for mankind's plunge into, into sin. But in Adam and Eve, that we had a reversal of roles where Eve oversteps what she should be doing, follows the serpent, and does what she is beguiled into doing, and Adam, of course, follows her, but Paul is using an illustration here from the past about what can happen when people don't fulfill the roles God's called them to. Women, in general, are more trusting. Some might say more gullible. I'm not going to say it that way. They're more trusting, which is a good thing, but a good thing can be bad. Uh, men tend to be more um, self-sufficient and therefore more apt to rebel against another authority. So in, in this verse, it's clearly showing that each one has a predisposed weakness. Uh, man, rebellion. Women, maybe over-trusting and therefore gullibility. But the Bible says that the greatest way by which for a woman to quote-unquote redeem herself, not talking about salvation, but to redeem herself in her distinction, in her value, is in the way that she invests herself in her children. So the Bible plan is that children would spend the majority of their time, 
of their waking hours with mom. Now, I know that societies have messed with that a bit, and I'm not here to judge your particular situation, listener, but as a general rule, a, a woman can, can find her distinction in the way that she's training and rearing her children day by day, because the attitude that your children get about the Bible and about God are largely formed by that woman's influence. And the Bible says, notwithstanding she shall be saved, find her distinction in childbearing if they, that's the children, continue in, and then it tells us faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. In other words, the greatest impact you can make upon a fallen world the most redeeming value you can offer a falling world is when you invest in your kids. And I think of the great quotation, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. A lot of truth in that, that speaks to the great influence that, that mothers have, particularly in this context, godly mothers have. And I think even about Eve back in Genesis chapter four, after God pronounces judgment upon uh, the serpent, Eve and Adam, and says what will happen because of that, uh, I, I love how that in Genesis 4.1, Eve has a child, a son, and says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she saw that as a great blessing from God that now she can, you know, in her life, invest her life in her son here, in her children, and help them follow God. That doesn't mean children always will, obviously, as Cain didn't follow God. But nonetheless, Eve did devote herself to helping her children know God and godly mothers today are to follow that same role model and, in, and help their children as they grow up know God and follow God. Not that men are not responsible at all. Clearly, that's not true. But often it is moms who spend more time with kids than dads do. The human avenue through which God brought his own son, through which God the son came to this earth, the human avenue was through a woman. And it shall bruise... Um, it, it shall, quote the verse for me, John, I'm the, talking about the seed promise in yeah, Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15, right, right. yes. Yeah, it shall, it, it shall help. Yeah, not that we're, you know, not Bruce that I heal, yeah. but thou shalt bruise Bruce's its head. head. Right, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting it right. Read it for us because I think it's yes. an important verse for us to consider. Yes, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so there's the point. It's her seed. So, but when God spoke about the special victory of Christ, the first mention of the coming Messiah, it was in and through the context of the mediatorship, uh, humanly speaking, of a woman. And so, um, good thoughts this morning, good truth for the Word of God. Hope this helps, and I hope you have a great day. We're going to jump into some really, really good stuff in chapter three about pastors and deacons. Hope you'll stay with us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If everyday truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.